Father, here we are. We're here in your presence. We've sung about the wonder of your love. And now we're asking that through the power of your word, you would reveal that love to us this morning. Lord, make it come alive to us. Lord, hear the cry of our own heart right now as we ask you to speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, so much for hearing that prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd remove the distractions from our minds right now. I know my own mind and my own heart, it's so easy to get so distracted. But Lord, fix our eyes on you this morning, we pray. And may we be radically changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer, Lee and I had the privilege of going to our SoCal camp meeting up near Santa Cruz and of running the junior tent. And they got the idea, the decorators for the junior tent, to build a half, uh, I guess you call it a half pipe in front, or quarter pipe in front of our junior tent. So we put it there at the entrance. And as we were putting this quarter pipe there, I'll put a picture up for you because they decided, you know what, we want this to really grab the attention of all the kids. So you can see it there is bright neon colors, this quarter pipe right there in the front of it. And then one of the dads who was helping us to decorate and do things and build stuff like this, he actually built it. He said, "Uh uh-oh, that's going to attract some attention. So he put a cone in front of it and he tried to put other stuff to try to keep somebody from actually using this apparent quarter pipe that was not meant for an actual skateboard to use. But juniors are very rambunctious. And so I remember it very clearly. It was the first, I believe, Sabbath evening, Saturday night. You know, time was coming when a lot of energy was beginning to boil over in the children and they were playing outside when suddenly I heard this crash outside. I walked outside to see what it was and the front of that half pipe was totally folded in because somebody had tried to use it as a half pipe. And I said, kids, these decorations, there's, there was other stuff out there too. I didn't want them to destroy everything else. I said, these decorations are here for you. Somebody designed this for you. It's, it's a really special gift that somebody did for you. I hope that you can disrespect the stuff that's out here and not totally trash it because we've got a whole week left for us to enjoy these things. Well, I didn't even know who it was who had done this. But it was about five to ten minutes later, I was in the front of the tent and we were preparing the last little bits, one of the skits or something like that in the front of the tent, when all of a sudden this little boy comes running up to me and his eyes are just flowing with tears. He's just bawling his eyes out and he said, I'm so sorry. I couldn't understand him at first. I said, what what happened? What was somebody mean to you? What, What happened to you? I'm so sorry. I was the one that broke the hat, the quarter pipe. His heart was broken. You know what I said to him? You think I told him, all right, that's it. Now you're in trouble. Now you have to fix it. Get here tomorrow at 6 a.m. and we're going to be fixing this half pipe. No, I said to him, look, you're forgiven. Just don't go and destroy anything more out there, okay? (laughs) You're totally forgiven. Don't even worry about it. This is the truth of the gospel. This is the truth of what the cross is designed to do for you and me. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 12. In Zechariah chapter 12, there is this vision that Zechariah is given where he is promised by God that God is going to do something special for his people in the last days. I believe that God is wanting to stir this in our hearts today. The same 
same kind of angst and earnestness that was in that child's heart as he came up to me. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 says this, and I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Let's pause right there. On the house of David, who would that be within Israel, within Jerusalem? Who would the house of David be? That would be the royal family. That would be the leadership, those who are in power in Jerusalem. I will pour out on the leadership, that's who God mentions first, on the leadership and on all of Jerusalem, then it goes on to say this, the spirit of grace and supplication. Now this is beautiful because these two words in the Hebrew actually have the same root. They're both related to the favor of God, the grace of God, the love of God. It says, I'm going to pour a spirit of grace on your people. People will desire grace. They'll be looking for the favor of God in their lives. They'll be desperate for that favor. And it's going to be a spirit of supplication for that grace. They're going to be asking Jesus for that grace. They're going to be pleading with God for that grace. What is Hebrews 4.16 says, So now come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The times we're living call us to be people who are filled with a spirit that is longing for grace, that is filled with a prayer in our hearts for the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God, to be poured out in our hearts. And then he goes on to promise this. Verse 10 continues, Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now, this is directly quoted in Revelation. Go with me really fast to Revelation chapter 1, but keep your finger here in Zechariah because we're coming back here. Revelation chapter 1 is Jesus is coming back. Jesus coming back in the clouds the revelator sees specifically that this is going to take place. Revelation 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. There's a picture of a day that is coming when Jesus comes back in all of his glory, and in that moment... There will be conviction in every heart on this planet as they look up and they see a God of love coming back for them and they recognize that all of our sin has pierced the Son of God. They will be led to mourn in that day regardless of whether we believe in Jesus Christ now or not. Whether we believe in him before that day comes, one way or another there will be On this planet, a mourning for sin. Whether we recognize Jesus' blood was shed for me or not, there's coming a day when we will recognize it. But Jesus is longing for us to get it sooner than that. He wants for us to recognize his love today in a way that revolutionizes and transforms our heart. Going back to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, notice the language that's used here as it says, they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. In the Bible, to have a child, a male child, was 
preeminently on the thoughts of all of the Old Testament patriarchs. And to lose that only son, you see this pictured in Genesis 22 when Abraham has to go and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. To to think of losing your only son is, is something so dramatic and so traumatic to the heart. Zechariah, Jesus is saying through Zechariah, you're going to look at me whom you pierced and you're going to mourn. You're going to have that same anguish in your heart as if you were losing your only son. Your only child, it goes on to say, it says they will grieve as they grieve for a firstborn. But there's a purpose to all of this. If you read on, it talks about the different families that will be mourning here. But look at chapter 13 and verse 1. This is the purpose that, that all of this is tending towards, that, that God wants to take place. Now, the mourning will take place in every heart, but the reason God wants it to take place before he comes back is so that he can unleash a flood of grace today on this planet. Chapter 13 and verse 1 says, In that day shall be open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for a uh, in that, in that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. God has a purpose of cleansing our hearts as we fix our eyes on the cross. Now, remember last week, we said that when we come to the cross, we may have a tendency of coming to the cross and thinking, I'm coming here in order to earn the love of God in my life. But we saw that John 3.16 is very clear that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We love because he first loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 22 tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Sorry, that's verse 19. And verse 22 goes on to say, let's go there really fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 22, so we can look at it. In more detail, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He loved us first, and so he had this purpose that the very thing that we ourselves have chosen, we have chosen selfishness. In the Garden of Eden, from the very beginning, that simple choice of saying, God, I choose to be selfish, to steal from your kingdom and to choose my own way, to choose the path of selfishness. That has created on this planet a spiral of evil that has affected all of our lives, but not to the fullest extent. The fullest extent of that has not been revealed on this planet. The four winds are being held back, Revelation tells us. But I love what it says In the book Education, page 253, it says that the cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin from its very inception has caused the heart of God. Lamentations, Jeremiah says it like this in Lamentations 3.22. He says that his mercies, because of his mercies, we are not consumed. You see, we've chosen the path of selfishness, the path that is death, the path that cuts us off from God. I, like Isaiah 59, 2 says that it's, it's separated us, it's hidden his face from us. We've chosen that path, but because of his mercy, God has gone on to give us probation. He's given us time to continue to experience his grace, to continue to have the opportunity to accept what is done in Jesus. And so what exactly was done in Jesus? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53. 
in Isaiah 53, this preeminent uh, prophecy about the suffering servant, about Jesus coming to take our sins upon himself. Isaiah 53, and we'll start in verse 3 where it says this, He is despised and rejected by men. You know, it has to break your heart as you're reading through the Gospels and you see this beautiful teacher and healer who was so all about helping people to see God's love. And then suddenly everybody turns their back on him. The whole crowd is crying, crucify him, crucify him. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This wasn't natural for Jesus to experience this. He had all of heaven and all of the glories and the joy of heaven for himself. But he became a man of sorrows. He became acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Every breath that you take, every heartbeat that you have that isn't filled with anguish beyond reason is because of Jesus Christ. Because he has taken your condemnation, your sin upon himself. The guilt that your sin creates in your life when you choose a life of selfishness, Jesus has taken that. He carried our sorrows But then look at what it says. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We we look to the cross sometimes and we think, well, this is what God had to do. He had to punish his son and he would have punished me in that place instead of punishing his son. And we look at the cross as if Jesus is being stricken by God at this place. But Isaiah goes on to say this, verse 5, but, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. It was our sin that was laid on him. He took and, and revealed on the cross what the results of our sin are. And as we come to the cross, first of all, we need to recognize the love of God displayed like nowhere else. And as we see that love, we then have to look at that cross. We have to realize that there's something more going on. You know, when you look at the cross, sometimes the focus is on the physical suffering that Christ went through, through his, his bleeding, being physically pierced. But all of this really started back in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Jesus say to his disciples as he took the three into the inner part of the garden? He said, my soul is sorrowful unto death. Jesus was having his own life crushed out by the guilt and the condemnation of the selfishness that you and I have chosen since the beginning. There in the garden of Gethsemane, that guilt was beginning to to cloud his picture of God. It was beginning to create this gulf of separation between him and the Father that was so big, he could barely bring himself to drink that cup for you and me. But he loved you more than himself. And he said, I would rather you live forever. I would rather you experience happiness and joy forever. And so I'll drink this cup. I'll go the length for you. I will display my love for you. And he drank that cup. And he took that second death experience. He went to hell for you and I so that you and I could experience all of the peace, all of the joy. 
He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that beautiful? And yet somehow, sometimes when I come to it, I don't recognize the beauty of it. I don't recognize the power of it. My heart isn't pricked by the cross like it really needs to be. What does it take for us to recognize this love? It goes on to say in uh, chapter 53, verse 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've chosen the path of selfishness and self-exaltation, of trying to put our way and our lives first. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those choices have all been laid on Jesus. As you come to the cross, you can come with the recognition that number one, he radically loves you. And number two, he has already died for every single one of your sins. He's already experienced the consequences of your sin. He has taken that into himself. As it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he has led captivity captive and he has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life. That's what Jesus did for you on the cross. And I long to have the experience of that little boy as he recognized that the half pipe breaking was because of him. And yet, he wasn't being punished for that. He was being offered pardon full and free. And to be motivated by that in my life, to recognize as I come to the cross that my sin is what Jesus is experiencing there, that he's experiencing the separation that I chose And yet, he's offering me free life. I don't have to earn that. But when I experience that love, it leads me to a brand new life. It motivates me. That kind of love compels me like the love of Christ compelled Paul. Like we looked at last week, to experience beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and all of these kind of things. That kind of love motivates me to want to live an unselfish life as Jesus fills us with his Holy Spirit. This picture of coming to the cross, I believe is displayed in miniature in the life of a woman in Samaria in John chapter 4. You remember the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus is weary by the well, and as he comes to the well, he is thirsty and he wants a drink, and the disciples go into town and they are getting food for him, and as he As as they're gone, there comes a woman to draw water from the well in the middle of the day. Jesus asks for a drink from her. And as she asks why he would do this, he goes on to tell her, well, if you would have asked me, he begins to paint this beautiful picture of what he's longing to do in her life. He begins to tell her, I would give you a fountain of living water inside of you that would be overflowing. Remember the fountain that Zechariah talked about that was going to be open to cleanse sin and unrighteousness in our lives? Jesus says, if you would ask me, then I would give you all of this. And as, as, as she's sitting there, I just imagine that she's thinking, wow, this guy's wonderful. He's beautiful. Look at his love for me. He's going to give me this amazing thing. Okay, give me this water. I believe that is what it's like the first part of coming to the cross is 
viewing his love and recognizing his beauty, recognizing that he has done this for us, not because of anything that we've done, but he did it freely for us. But Jesus responds immediately after that, and it seems like he jumps the tracks completely because he says to her, okay, go and call your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus begins to let her know something. He already knows all the secrets of her life. He already knows all of her failures, all of her shortcomings, every single detail of her life where she has messed up. And Jesus knows it all for you too. He recognizes it. and He comes to you first offering this gift of life. And then as you seize this offer, this gift... He goes on to say this, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Do you see the part that leads us to mourn at the cross? As Jesus says, actually, in order for you to experience this, there's got to be a turning from sin in your life. There's got to be a repentance that takes place. And it's the goodness of God, Romans chapter 2 tells us, that leads us to repentance. As we see that he's the one that wants to bring us this fountain of life as we recognize that he wants to bless us. And this woman doesn't run away from the cross. She doesn't run away from Jesus But instead, what does she do? She runs into town, and as she runs into town, she tells him, come, in verse 29, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? When we come to the cross, it has a healing power in our lives because as we come to the cross, we come to a person who knows all of our sin, all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, and he loves us anyway. And as we recognize that love, it creates in our heart a motivation to turn from sin. Repentance, a turning away from sin. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Desire of Ages, page 300, says, We often sorrow because of our evil deeds, because our evil deeds bring unpleasant consequences to ourselves. But this is not repentance. By every sin, Jesus is wounded afresh. And as we look upon him whom we have pierced, we mourn for the sins that have brought anguish upon him. Such mourning will lead to the renunciation of sin. When I look to the cross and I see on the cross my loving Savior, there radically displaying his love and wanting to freely give me life, It makes me hate sin. It makes me hate every choice that I've ever made that put him there. It makes me hate the selfishness in my life. It makes me abhor who I've become. And yet to know that he knows it all, and he still has chosen me to be his son and his daughter. He knows every detail of my life, and and he freely forgives it all as I come to the cross. Friends, that is the truth of the gospel That is what God wants to do in your heart and my heart today. That's why we come and we have our communion service. It's so that we can remember that we have a God who radically loves us and a God who has given himself for us so that we can have a brand new life. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't that love captivating? You know, there's a a picture that was 
drawn, uh, painted of a, a man. And I like to imagine in this picture, I'll put it up, it's at the end of the slides there, this picture of a man who you see in his hand a hammer. He was maybe one of those who was there at the cross, who was nailing Jesus to the cross and not recognizing what he was doing. And you see there that he's basically fainted from the grief of recognizing that he just put to death his wonderful Savior. But you see behind him, in that moment when he's fainting under that grief, the arms of Jesus wrap around him, and there's nail piercings in his hand, and lift him up. That's what God wants to do in our hearts in repentance. Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the type of mourning that he's looking for, not just a sadness over things in life, but a true mourning and turning from sin. In Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, it says this, and as one is drawn to behold Jesus uplifted on the cross, he discerns the sinfulness of humanity. He sees that it is sin which scourged and crucified the Lord of glory. He sees that while he has been loved with unspeakable tenderness, the cross reveals that to us. We have been loved with unspeakable tenderness, a tenderness that cares for every detail of our lives. While we have been loved with unspeakable tenderness, his life has been a continual scene of ingratitude and rebellion. He has forsaken his best friend and abused heaven's most precious gift. He has crucified to himself the Son of God afresh and pierced anew that bleeding and stricken heart. He is separated from God by a gulf of sin that is broad and black and deep, and he mourns in brokenness of heart. Such mourning will be comforted. God reveals to us our guilt that we may flee to Christ and through him be set free from the bondage of sin and rejoice in the liberty of the sons of God. In true contrition, we may come to the foot of the cross and there leave our burdens. Friends, as we come to the foot of the cross, we have reached the highest place that we will ever reach in our lives. As we kneel there in contrition and see both the love of God And we see what our sin has done. We experience what Jesus came to do. In John 1.17, it says that through the law, uh, uh, actually, let's look at it really fast. John chapter 1 and verse 17, just one page over. It says, for the law was given through Moses, and the word is supplied there, so I'll just skip over it. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed what the law is, and that is grace And it is truth. It is mercy and it is justice. And both of those are revealed in the cross. And there isn't a balance between those two. That is who God is. He is a God of love. And his mercy is exhibited in justice. And his justice is exhibited in mercy. Friends, let's keep fixing our eyes on the cross. Let's remember that our sin creates infinite pain in the heart of God. Let's be led to mourn for that. And because of our best friend Jesus, to say, you know what? I don't want to go on living in sin. I want to allow him to cleanse me from those things. I want for that fountain to be unleashed that he promised in Zechariah 13.1. I want for that fountain to cleanse me from all sin and unrighteousness. 
If he's my best friend, I can't go on even with the little sins. I have to be honest, it bugs me when I, I hear, and I've probably said these things in the past, but when you'll, you'll hear somebody get up to go eat something that they feel is a sin, and they say, well, I'm just going to do a little sinning right now. Is sin a joke? That's our friend, our best friend, pierced to the heart, suffering death because of our selfishness. I don't want any more sin in my life. I don't know about you. And I want to ask him to take it away from me. And blessed is he who mourns, who mourns over sin because Jesus is there to comfort. He's there to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And friends, that's where we're headed in our sermon series beginning next week, Gifted. We're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit wants to come on his church, how he has promised to come on his church in a way that has not been seen in the history of this planet, a way that's greater than Pentecost. That's going to take place. The latter rain is going to fall. And it's going to take place as we are led to the cross to see his grace, to be led to mourn for our sin, and to be blessed by being comforted. Friends, if you want to experience that comforting, that mourning, that grace in your life this morning, I just want to invite you, if you're able, if you're not able, don't feel bad, but just to kneel with me as we pray. Oh, Jesus, as we kneel at the foot of the cross, we have reached the highest place we will ever reach. It's here that we see that you loved us more than yourself. That if it were possible, you want our existence more than your own existence. Oh, God, we ask that you would lead us to hate sin not in some legalistic fashion, but because of the love of Christ that compels us, that motivates us, that inspires, that transforms our heart, because that's the only way that we can unselfishly, lovingly follow you anyway. Oh, Jesus, would you change our hearts? We're here mourning for our sin. Lord, bring to mind any specific sins in our life that right now you might be calling us to repent, to turn from, that we've been treating lightly like it's no big deal. We'll just keep going back to the cross and we forget that it's that sin that put our best friend there. Oh Jesus, would you change my heart this morning? Would you convert me to a deeper level? Change my heart this morning, I pray. Change our hearts. May you open that fountain, that fountain of grace that cleanses us from sin and unrighteousness as we are compelled by the compelling love of Christ that we see at the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.